2001, I spent a semester in Kenya with the National Outdoor Leadership School, or Knowles as it's called. Throughout the semester, we worked on climbing technique and wilderness navigation and group dynamics on Mount Kenya. We studied taxonomy and animal behavior on safari. And we spent several weeks sailing wooden, single-sailed dhows along the Swahili coast up near the border with Somalia. It's my first encounter with a region of real pirates. We also trekked through the Maasai Mara, which is the Kenyan side of the Serengeti. Uh, And it was during that time on the Maasai Mara, trekking like 25 miles a day with 50-pound packs, that our conversation devolved into that beloved pastime of all tired hikers. Food. This was around day 38 of the course. We were following a narrow trail used by goats and children to get through dense thorny brush, and we found one of those, like, those wooden wheels that, uh, that the Maasai, um, young Maasai and also hipsters used to, like, expand their earlobes, you know what I'm talking about? We found one of those down on, on, in, this, in this brush, and it made us launch into this conversation about, like, rituals and coming of age, and one person mentioned that they had a ritual in their family that when it was their birthday, that person would go with just their parents to go get ice cream. Now, just the mention of ice cream when you're in the middle of the dusty African savanna changes some things. (laughs) The conversation quickly devolved into burritos, pizza, tacos, Slurpees, salads believe it or not, longing for a salad out there, some salmon. This talk about food lasted um, about two hours, a solid two hours just talking about food. And it left us both hungry and thirsty. And water was really scarce in that part of the country. Soon, with all that talk and very few little food, we ran out of water. So we got into the place where we were supposed to camp that night. It was near a trickling stream, just deep enough for the water to like cover my hand as I put it in there. You know, just very, very little, tiny bit of water. And I happened to be on water duty that night. I was assigned to fill our pots and uh, the water bottles. And when I got to the stream, I realized that the stream was full of cow dung. (laughs) Not just like fragments of cow dung, but there are whole cow pies directly in the stream. But it was our only option. So I pumped what water I could get through the filter and brought it back to the camp to boil. That is about where we find Jesus today. Today we meet Jesus on his own Knowles course. He has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tired. He was hungry. Matthew says he was famished. Jesus was hiker hungry and cow dung thirsty. It was then that he was tempted. Then, when he couldn't think 
straight, when he was hallucinating food from home, it was then that the trouble started. After all that time in the wilderness, Jesus knows something that we on our Knowles course did not. Jesus knows what feeds you. What feeds you? That is the question of this passage and is the question of this Lenten season. Lutheran homiletics professor Joy Moore says, this passage is about provision. You can break the three temptations down like this. The first one is, who provides for you? Jesus says, God provides. Second temptation, if God provides for you, prove it. Jesus' response, I don't need to prove it, I trust it. The third temptation is, what if I provide for you? What if you don't need God to provide for you? This last one brings us to that rough Old Testament passage. Adam and Eve, the serpent, and the fruit. I know this passage is hard to read. It is It has such a horrible history of perpetuating misogyny and patriarchy, so much so that it's hard to even hear it. It's hard to hear it with any sense of fresh ears. But just for a second, consider what happens here through the lens of provision. Or, as we sometimes call it in here, scarcity and abundance. Eve and Adam live in the garden. They have everything they need until the serpent tells them that they don't, until the voice of scarcity scares them into thinking that they are not enough, that God does not and will not provide. Scarcity makes them think that they are not like God, forgetting that they are made in God's image. The narrative of scarcity, not having or being enough, disrupts human relationship with nature, with one another, and with the divine. Does that sound familiar? As climate crisis threatens to render over 150 million people climate refugees by 2050, as we witness the sixth great extinction in which 2,000 species a year go extinct, isn't that crazy? In a time when 821 million people worldwide are malnourished, despite the fact that we have enough food to feed everyone, the narrative of scarcity continues to disrupt relationship with God, neighbor, and nature. Which brings us to our Lenten practice. Earth as it is. You'll see this on the, on the back of your bulletins. Our relationship with the earth, with nature, with the biotic community on this planet is fundamental to our relationship with one another and with God. Lent is about getting in touch with God and remembering what feeds you, what sustains you, what fills you up and strengthens you in this life. What is essential to life. What is it? 
I'm certain that if you give this question any time, you will come to the conclusion that love eternal is the one essential. Which begs the question, how do we remain in that love? What helps you stay in touch with the essential provisions of love? For Jesus, there was clearly a time when scripture fed him. In times of trial, Jesus turns to scripture to guide him back to God's love. In my own daily practices, scripture does just that. It hones my vision and helps restore mindful attention to God's love. But there are many other practices that also guide me back to God. And for me, personally, what feeds me, what restores me to that relationship, is time in nature. Connection with the earth. Whether it is surfing, climbing, hiking, sitting on that bench outside, or walking in our garden. Going outside, being in nature, strengthens my connection with God. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I can tell. (laughs) You know, I have three little boys, and they have a tendency to get bonked around. Um... If one of them gets hurt or is like really upset about something, I will pick them up and take them outside. Carry them around in our yard. Point out a flower or a leaf. And within seconds, the crying subsides. The pain is cured by wonder. It's what Confucian scholar and ecologist Mary Evelyn Tucker calls worldly wonder. That wonder is healing. In this Lent, we as a community will explore our worldly wonder and the primacy of our connection to the planet by dedicating this season to examining Earth as it is. We reflect on the state of the planet, what we can do and what we must accept, what we cannot accept and what that means for us as the beloved community. Like crying children, like starved hikers on the African savannah, like Jesus in the wilderness, we know that earth as it is leads us back to love eternal back to the hope and the expectation that someday we can live into love eternal on earth as it is in heaven.